Good morning, everybody. I want to I lead off in Psalm, Psalm 92. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. As we let out this morning, you know, we have Thanksgiving this week. Psalm 92 says this. It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Come on, can we say that together? It is good to give thanks to the Lord. You know, we need to keep that in the front of our minds, in the forefront of everything that we do. It says that, and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. You know, he doesn't give any qualifications to that to, as far as the abilities of our singing or any of that stuff. If we, even if we're in tune or if, if we can keep a tune or whatever the harmony is, he just says that we're going to give thanks, we're going to sing praises to your name, O Most High, and to, and to declare your loving kindness in the morning. When? In the morning. Let me tell you, if you're waiting at the end of the day to begin to declare God's loving kindness, you may never get there right? You may never get there. Man, I, I make it a point every morning I wake up and I try to, before my feet hit the floor, say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I sing praises to your name, O Most High. Because, Lord, your loving kindness is what's going to get me up and get me going here today. Every day. He says his mercy is new every morning. I look for that mercy every single morning. And your faithfulness every night. Because, you see, it's kind of a, it connects the two. As we have the ability to Declare his loving kindness in the morning, kind of a forethought, right? Was we prophesy God's loving kindness every morning. God, you're good. And then at the end of the night, God, you were faithful, right? Every day. It says, on an instrument of ten strings and a lute and on a harp with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. And I believe here this morning as we... As we open up this service, we have the ability to triumph at the work of his hands. Amen? Come on, I know that everybody here has something that they can be thankful for, right? I mean, that's all we have to do is begin to declare that here this morning. Right now, if you have your Bible, turn with me. We're going to go right into uh, the book of Luke, chapter 15. And I'm going to go ahead and get there. And David had talked about it a little bit this morning that over these past couple of weeks, Pastor Tommy's been sharing on the story of the prodigal son. Right, so if you've been here the past couple of weeks, you, you've seen how, how we've kind of gone through that. Luke chapter 15, and that story begins in verse 11. But in that, we talked about multiple perspectives. And he said that the first one was, what that we talked about was all that I have. That's Pastor Tommy, and he, he began to show us you know, this, this parable, how Jesus is, is telling the disciples, there was a certain man, had two sons, he had a younger son and an older son, right? The younger son, he, gets, he wants his inheritance. He wants to go off and do something with it. The older son, he ends up staying at home, okay? And how throughout that whole, whole process, the younger son, he leaves. He goes and he, he squanders everything that he has and everything that he was given. And then he decides, you know, he's broke, busted, disgusted, and, you know, eaten from the pig trough. Decides to come back. The father accepts him in. And the older son says, you know, hey, man, what, what about me? You never slaughtered the fatted calf for me. What about me? And the father looks at that older son and says, well, all that I have is yours right? You've been with me all this time. And that's kind of the, the crux of that first message. So we were, had a focus on, on the, the older son and all that I have. The second one was the God who covers. As we look at how, the, how the, even though the younger son, he, would, he went away and he squandered everything that the father had given him. He had coming back and the father, he covered him with his robe. Y'all remember that? As he covers him and, and protects him and that, what that really meant. And today we're going to talk about we're going to talk about today, thanks before giving. Because this is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, right? So it's, a, it's only appropriate. It's me and Pastor Tommy, he was planning on preaching 
today, and, and he was sharing with me some of his thoughts about what he was going to minister. And I figured, well, if, if God gave them this to minister, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. So I put my own thoughts and my own, and, and what God would speak to me about it over these past day, and, uh, and really was able to develop it. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what the Bible says? Be ready in season and out of season. I want you to know as a, as a minister, as, as just a person, right, we never know when God's going to call on us for a specific task. We need to live a life being ready for anything, right? And if, and if not be ready for anything, at least be ready for what's reasonably expected of you, right? It takes me as no surprise. I'm ready to preach today, right, if you're ready to hear it. But as we read about that and read about this story that thanks becomes before giving, right? Thanks comes before giving. You know, in fact, I, I've, had a, I've had the opportunity to be around several different types of people throughout my short career of being alive. And, 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 and in that, I, I get to meet all kinds of different folks, right? I get to meet people in, in jails. I get to meet people who, who are in business, the business realm. I get people meet people who are on missionary fields and all that other stuff, right? From, from the church pew sitter to, the, to the, the church planner, everybody, okay? And everybody in between. And there's one constant theme that runs through every single one of those people, that, that some of the greatest givers in life, and, and this is a rule, I mean, this is like, this is it, some of the greatest givers in life are the most thankful people that I've ever met. You know, in fact, I'm not even going to say some of the greatest givers, all of the greatest givers that I've ever met are, are some thank, are thankful people. They're always living a life of gratitude. They're living a life of, of thankfulness. You know, in fact, as I begin to think about this, and I, I begin to think about the tapestry of the gospel, the fabric of the gospel, right? And what that's made of. A fabric is made up of multiple different threads that are woven together, right? And, as, and, and I thought about my grandmother. She used to do needlepoint. Anybody, any needlepointers here? Okay, got a couple back there. Yeah, anyway. Not, apparently not as popular as it used to be, uh, needlepointing, right? But if y'all have ever seen it, man, it may say something beautiful and delicate on the front, Right? And it's like, uh, I mean, it's got threads running through it. So it may welcome to my home or, or it may say whatever. And most of the time, you know, kind of in the spirit of Thanksgiving, the only time you ever see that stuff is when you go to your grandmother's house for Thanksgiving and you're looking at all her needlepoint on the wall, right? But have you ever looked at taking one of those things down and turned it over? It's like a mess of threads everywhere, right? It's, it's really kind of, it's, it's like I can't even read what this says. You turn it over, beautiful, flip it back. And a lot of times that's kind of how our lives end up being, right? That's kind of how our lives end up being. But, but as I was thinking about that, that, that thankfulness is one of the threads, just one of those threads that are in the gospel. They make, that makes up the fabric of the gospel. And without it, it's actually impossible. Let me say that again. It is impossible to, ha- to walk in and have a heart open to receive for- forgiveness, to have a heart to be able to receive salvation without first having thankfulness. Right? It's impossible. We can't do it. Because if you read in this, as we look in Luke chapter 15, I want to just kind of go back to verse 1 and 2 just for a second. And it says, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him and to hear him. Right? This is, this is Jesus, right? They're drawing near, tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, then it says, So he spoke a parable to him. And then he tells the three parables. It's important that when we look at these three parables that we understand all three of these parables in the context of the three of them, right? He just doesn't tell one parable because one parable couldn't do enough the justice to explain the point that Jesus was trying to make. But he begins to speak these parables because he, he says that 
there's, there's tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and the scribes are like, Jesus, man, what are you doing with these people, right? What are you doing with these people? Don't you know who we are? We're the Pharisees and the scribes. And I always kind of thought about this parable of the two sons. You have the, you know, the, the, the prodigal son and the other son. That's kind of like being the, the Jews and the Gentiles, right? That's kind of how I always thought of it. Just never really thought about it. This is how I thought of it. But I begin to realize that Jesus isn't talking specifically about Jews and Gentiles here. What he's talking about is to Jews who are the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jews who are the tax collectors and the sinners. That's who he's talking about. It's not a matter of nationality. It's not a matter of origin. It's not a matter of who your daddy is or who your mama is, right? It's a matter of the heart that Jesus is speaking about, right? It's a matter of the heart. So when he's talking about these these, these two sons, the prodigal son and the other son, in fact, they're coming from the same daddy, right? They got the same upbringing. They was raised in the same house. Neither one of them had any specific advantage over the other one, other than the one being older. The difference between the two sons was, it was a matter of their hearts. You know, it's kind of like in, in Cajun country, right? We all, my last name is Cormier, okay? And, and I say, that's how I pronounce it, and I get phone calls all the time. Hey, can I speak to Joe Cormier or whatever, right? And, and many of you might be a Boudreaux, who's uh, Boudrox or, or you know, Tibidox or Thebado. I mean, I don't know how you say it. You know, you're in the Cajun country, right? But we know each other because we know where we're from, right? It, it's kind of funny. And this is how the Jews were at the time. The, the Jews knew who each other were, right? They knew, and, and they had some identity in that. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees, when Jesus would talk to them, he's like, Jesus would have to remind them off and say, hey, don't tell me you know who you, my daddy is, right? You know what... what lineage I come from. Aren't we of the sons of Abraham? Don't we have this great promise as being Jewish people, right? Jesus tells him, don't, don't tell me that. I don't really care who your daddy is. It's not a matter of what you come from. It's a matter of what's your heart condition, right? What's your heart condition? Do you have a heart of thankfulness? Do you have a heart of, of, of giving? But as we look at this, this parable here, we see that thanks most of the time comes before giving, right? Thanks comes before giving. It's not necessarily the richest people who give the most. Although I know some rich people, and they give a lot. And they get a lot. It's kind, of a, it's kind of how that works. It's not necessarily the most popular, right? I mean, I know people who, who, who make a pretty good living out of giving in order to become popular, right? They're these philanthropist-type groups. And then, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But it's not necessarily the most popular who always are givers. It's not necessarily... Those are even who are the most capable, right? I don't have any debt. I have all this overhead. I'm a big, big giver. It's not necessarily uh, the people in the highest positions. Well, this guy is, you know, he's the president of a company. He can afford to give. That's, that's really not the way it is at all. In fact, in all those things, there are people who are capable. There are people who are popular. There are people who are, who are rich and high position that get, aren't givers at all. But it's always the most thankful. It makes me think about the widow when Jesus is telling the story of the widow and her two mites. Have y'all, have y'all heard that story? This is in Luke chapter uh, 21. Jesus sees a widow who has only two mites. Now, I don't know how much a mite is, but I know the size of a mite is pretty, pretty insignificant. So I would assume that two mites is a pretty insignificant amount, right, compared to all these other people who are giving. And Jesus sees this widow go, and she drops two mite in the offering plate. And she looks and she says, Truly, I, and Jesus says, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put more than all. He said, she's put more than all of you. Now, economically, that's not an accurate statement, right? 
She's only put two mites. Why would he say that? Then he, the reason is he gives the answer. He says, because she, you give out of your abundance. She doesn't give out of her abundance. She gives out of her lack, right? Why would somebody do that? Because they're thankful. Because she was thankful that as a widow, she still had protection. She still had covering. She still had the ability uh, to go before the Lord, to be a giver, to, to be and even to receive that what the widow receives. So in this parable, we, have, we talked about the, the, the son who stayed. I don't know. We don't have a name for him. We have the prodigal son, but there's, no other, there's not a name for the son who stayed around, right? The selfish son, right? Maybe he's the self-motivated son. Think about that term. How many of y'all say, hey, I'm, I'm self-motivated, right? I'm self-motivated. That may not always be the best way to say that. Because wouldn't, if you're self-motivated, isn't everything that you're doing motivated around yourself? I don't know if that's a good term to use. Anyway, maybe he's the, maybe he's the, the selfish son the, the, or the thankless son. I don't know. But here we're going to talk today about the father. We're going to talk about the father. In Luke 15, 18 through 24, let's, let's just read through that. If you have your Bible, just read through it with me. It says... This is the son, he says, he's, the young son, he's talking, he says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. We see his heart. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So then he arose, because how many of you know repentance requires action? Right? I can say it. If I don't do anything about it, 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 ain't, it didn't happen. And he arose and came to his father but when he was still a great way off. Don't say a great way off. A great way off. I love how David, he comes out, David Clark comes out behind the, the piano and he's like, I don't even know if you can hear me, you know. I don't know. Could y'all hear him? Yeah, I can hear him. I don't even know. He's like, y'all are a great way off, right? I'm yelling at you. Because he had something to say. And he couldn't be confined to this spot, right? He couldn't be here. He had to come say it. He needed you to see his heart. He wanted you to see what was, what was in there. He says he was a great way off, and his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. You see here that what, what we see in this scripture is that the father, he sees his son coming from far away, right? He had the hope within him that one day his son would return. He had a hope within him that one day he would be able to put the robe of forgiveness, the robe of covering, the ring of, of authority back on his son's finger. I bet you there wasn't a night that went by that that father didn't sit down at the supper table and begin to think and talk to all the servants about his, the, the son that went away, right? It's not, I mean, look, he didn't believe this or not. You don't have to believe it. It's okay. But, but when this story was written, they did not have Facebook or Instagram, right? So the father, it's not like he was going to check his son's Facebook every, every day. Hey, let's see how he's doing. Let's see how he's doing. Matter of fact, they didn't even have telephones, okay? 
He was probably wondering. He may not have had any idea the condition of his son, what he was doing. He may have, his, for all he knew, his son could have been prosperous or he could have been broke. He didn't really know. And to be honest, he didn't really care. He had such a desire and a love in his heart that he would sit on the front porch or wherever it was and look every single day just waiting for his son to return because he had a love in his heart. And when he saw his son there a great way off, it says that the father saw him and had compassion. And he began to run. The father running, right? Running. I mean, could you, could you just get that imagery? I would do it and show you so that way I could help you with the imagery. But, man, I've been putting floors in. I ain't running. The father's heart was oriented towards his son, regardless of what his son was or wasn't doing. But the first thing that he did wasn't start to lavish him with gifts, right? He, that's not what he did. He didn't say, you know, the first thing he did is give him a robe, give him a ring. Hey, you're back, son, right? The first thing he did wasn't, son, where you been? Man, I've been worried sick about you. I've been, you know, everything, all this stuff. Look, all those conversations probably took place. As a matter of fact, I can almost guarantee you that they, took, they would have taken place. The point of it is, is that the first thing he did was had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and embraced him. The father was just thankful to see his son again. The father was thankful to be reunited with the one that he loves that he lost contact with. He fell on him. And he didn't ask any questions. He simply gave him an opportunity for repentance, right? He gave him an opportunity and embraced him. How many of us live lives where, where we want to return back to, some, to our fathers? Or we want to return back to, to even our, our natural biological families? But there's always some, something in the background, right? Something in the background. Well, if I ever see that person again, let me tell you. I mean, I did mention we were from Cajun country, right? Let me tell you, Shaft, that this is what's going to happen. If I ever see that person again, we're going to have this conversation. That's not what the father did. He just embraced him. He took him in. He said, I'm thankful, so thankful, so thankful to see you. You know, in this story, we see here that, that, that those two sons are kind of representative of the lost class, I guess you can say, the sinners and the tax collectors. But we see here the other son, he was the more categorized in, this, in the context of this story as the religious section of people, right? And the father actually is kind of like the representative of God. We all agree on that? But we see here that, that God is totally forgiven to, or forgiving to the son. He's totally embracing. He's totally thankful. But the question would come up is that can God actually be thankful? Well, it says in, in John chapter 6 that Jesus, he blesses the food and all these things and he gives thanks. So Jesus gives thanks, right? But as, we were, as I was thinking about this, one of these most obscure verses in the Bible that probably nobody's ever heard came to mind. And as a matter of fact, I think of this scripture often because this is the same verse of scripture that 17 years ago, I was in a little small church in Hayes, Louisiana, and had grown up in church and had gotten off into some prodigal living, right? Riotous living. Think about this. You know that, that word prodigal or riotous there, whatever translation. You know that that word is only used one time in the entire Bible, and it's right there in that verse of Scripture. You won't find it anywhere else. But as I was living my own prodigal life, I came back to a church, and I, I began to, the pastor, he was preaching a, a, a message of salvation, and he just said, you know, he just mentioned this verse of Scripture, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten Son, that Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And at that moment, those words, although they were familiar, 
the hand of God was unfamiliar to me at that moment. And it's just like God just reached down from heaven and put his hand right into my heart. And he began to, to make changes there. And he began to show me his love. He began to show me his forgiveness. He began to show me his kindness. You know, it doesn't say that for God gave his only begotten son, does it? Because it could say that. God could have just, you know, hey, God saw that there was a huge problem, so he gave his only son to fix it, right? Mr. Fix-It God. We don't have a Mr. Fix-It God. We have a Father God, right? We have a Father God who loves us. And at that moment, at the, when I got down that altar, my life changed in the twinkling of an eye. And I'm not kidding you. Man, I was rough. And in the twinkling of an eye, hey, I'm not standing up here before you saying that I was perfect, right? Or that I'm perfect. We still got growing to do. And we've all got growing to do. But my life, the way I thought about things, the way I understood things, the way I understood God changed in an instant. And now God can begin to, to work all things together for good because I loved God, because I was called according to his purpose. It says that for God so loved the world, he loves us. But that still doesn't answer the question, though, is God thankful? Is God thankful? But I'm reminded as I look in Matthew 25, I'm going to turn there. If you want to turn there, we're going to just turn with me to, to the book of Matthew 25. We're going to look at verses 34 through 40. Jesus is here telling another parable, another story, in order to illustrate something similar to the prodigal son story, the son who was lost and the son who stayed. Think about this. I know that many times, uh, again, you have to read Luke chapter 15 in its entirety to understand the context of what Jesus is saying. And in Luke chapter 15, there's actually three parables. I want you to, and he's answering one question. The first two parables, the first parable says that there was a sheep who was lost. We sang about that today. And he left the 99 to go search after the one. Then he puts him on the shoulder. He brings him back. Sheep is, is back with the hundred, right? The next one is, 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 is a woman who lost a coin. And she ended up sweeping the whole house. So she sweeps the whole house to find the one coin, right? The precious one that was lost. If you just read those two stories, those two accounts, you would think that, Jesus, that God has a, a character that says there's nothing that's required from you for salvation, right? I was lost. All I have to do is be lost, and God's going to come searching me out. He's going to break every wall. He's going to tear every... And that's true because Jesus said it. It's absolutely 100% true. To answer... Those types of thoughts, Jesus says, but let me also tell you the story of these two sons, okay? So it's, it, there is, I want you to understand that God's going to go after you with everything that you've got. But it first requires you taking a step towards him, right? The father didn't just go after his son. The father saw his son coming from a far way off, and then he went running, right? He went running. Guys, it's, it's not about necessarily, it's not about the promise because we all have promises in our lives. The Jews had promises that Jesus was talking about. Those Pharisees and scribes had promises. They knew the promises. They reminded God of the promises every day. It's not the promise that counts. It's the posture that's going to that's gonna affect the change, right? It's not the promise. It's the posture. The younger son had a posture toward his father. This is the, what Jesus is asking us, or he's showing us. But we have in our current world a gospel of unlimited grace. We have a, in our, our current uh, church environment an unlimited grace thread. And that says that, well, 
Jesus has saved me. I can do whatever I want, right? Don't you know that I have Jesus as my Savior? Doesn't that sound so similar to the attitude of the Pharisees? Don't you know that I have Abraham as my father? Don't you know that I have Jesus as my Savior? Listen, and this is the the hard part, is that the the modern-day Pharisees can be viewed as the modern-day hyper-grace movement. So just be careful that we understand the theology of the gospel, of the Bible, that we understand the theology of God, that we understand what God is saying in the Scriptures, that we just don't do whatever we want, that there is action required on our part. Amen? Thanks for no stones. (laughs) Matthew 25, so is God thankful. Verse 34 says, Then a king will say to those on his right hand, well, let me back up. Verse 33 says, And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Right? This is Jesus telling a story about the kingdom of God. And the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is the sheep on the right hand. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did I? When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You see, for God to be hungry, for God to be thirsty, for God to be a stranger, for God to be naked, for God to be sick, for God to be in prison isn't necessarily the attributes of God, but they're the attributes of man. And what God is saying, so, so when we see people and, and, and we do things to people who, who have a need, who have a thirst, who have a hunger, who are naked, who are strangers, and all these things, that as soon as we do things to help them, that we're doing that unto the Father. That as we care for God's people, that we're caring for God. I believe that in these scriptures that we see that, yes, God is thankful for our actions that, he, that we fulfill as our ministry of the body of Christ. As we take care of all these things, and we take care of all of God's people. God appreciates the things that we do for him. God is thankful, so he gives to us. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. You know, that attitude of thanks is absolutely essential to the success of our lives. I read that that verse of scripture in Psalms just a while ago. It is good to give thanks unto the Lord. It is good to give thanks. Most of us live miserable lives simply because we're just unthankful. We're ungrateful. If we could just begin to say, God, thank you, or maybe not God even, just find somebody and tell them thank you for investing in you. Tell them thank you for pouring into you. I mean, you can even look at your neighbor right now. You don't have to do this and just say, hey, thanks for sitting next to me today because I was a stranger and you came and gave me company. And why is that? Because thanksgiving leads to forgiveness. As we can be thankful, you know, the father, he was thankful to see his son. And it led to him forgiving his son. Not just to the point of, you're forgiven, but I'm never talking to you again. I'm not talking about that kind of forgiveness. I'm talking about forgiveness to the point where he invited him in. He gave him the robe. He covered him. Complete forgiveness. It required change on the part of the son, but there was still forgiveness there. So I want to implore you today and ask you the question, 
Are you living a thankful life? Are you being thankful? You know, it's Thanksgiving season. I mean, this is it. There's a reason that Thanksgiving starts in, the, in fall. As we look outside in South Louisiana, the roses are beginning to b- blossom, okay? The grass is starting to grow. The birds are chirping. This is fall in South Louisiana. But everywhere else in the world, okay, take, if you haven't been, take my word for it. Uh, I was in Arkansas a couple of weeks ago. The leaves are starting to fall, okay? But there's a reason for that. Because as you're entering into this new season of life, you know, we're going into the winter season. I mean, there's a, winter's a tough time of year for most people that don't live here. You know, here it's like this is a pleasant time of year. But for most places, it's cold. Things die and they wither away. It has the ability to be depressing. As Americans, we chose to have Thanksgiving Day on this time because we're just coming through the harvest season. We're thanking God for His faithfulness. Amen? We're thanking God for providing for us. We're thanking God for, for, for being with us, for giving us all the needs, for sustaining us, even to the point of maybe even storing some food for the wintertime. We need to have this attitude of thanks. In Philippians 4, 6 through 8, we can see here some of the keys for an overcoming life. I know we all want an overcoming life. It starts with thankfulness. The father, the restoration of his relationship with his son, started with thankfulness. With God, the restoration of, of, of or, or the beginning of the restoration of God and humanity started with, with thankfulness. It started with love. With the church and with our ministries, the, the, the beginning of restoration Uh, for us to get back into relationship with God begins to say when we begin to take care of those who are around us. But I want to let you know, if you don't have that heart of thankfulness, you're going to struggle with a heart of giving. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It goes on to say, In the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Man, I need some peace of God in my life that surpasses all understanding. You know, when thanksgiving begins to rule in our hearts, it gives us the ability to walk through situations that would be absolutely impossible otherwise. Paul goes on to say, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are or of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. There's plenty out there that we can meditate on. There's plenty out there that we can just think about that's going to get us into an attitude of just total de- depression, total depravity. But there's got to be one thing in your life, one thing that's true, that's just, that's pure. You know, Dr. Lynn shared here this just, just this morning. When we begin to get the the, the junk out, the lies out of our heart, what begins to, f- to flood in? Truth begins to flood in. Like a wave. As, the, as the, the, a wave could just clears the debris, just gets flushed out, and then, man, truth begins to, to come in. You see, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we wrestle against principalities. And we've talked about that some in the past, that principalities being origins. These are the spiritual dynamics of life. The origins of what we believe are going to determine how we function. Of rulers, that word there, is, in its literal translation in the Greek, is liberty or also entitlements. That means that, that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the spirit of entitlement. That people just owe me stuff. I don't have to be thankful. That's what's fighting against us. 
But Paul says in Philippians that we don't have to be anxious for anything, that we can pray, but leading off with a heart of thanksgiving. And every one of us have one thing that we can be thankful for. So as we close here this morning, can you stand with me? (laughs) 